Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All these guys who run these organizations who talk about analytics, they have one thing in common. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get to the game. Welcome to VEASAN's Hardwood Handicappers. As you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? Not a geek. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Welcome to the second hour. A, a lot of fun stuff to get to here. We're going to take a look at Monday's schedule. Uh, we are going to take a look at the Final Four as well. Cannot wait. Uh, a couple of good games. No, nah, it wasn't. I can't tell you on that. Um, the uh, the uh, the Peacocks going down in flames. It was not a lot of fun to watch. It was kind of like watching a small child get beat up. But, hey, regardless, we have a Final Four set. So we will get to those at the bottom of the hour. And our very first look, because this show is going to carry on through the NBA Finals, um, and I would assume because we're doing such a bang-up job, maybe even farther, um, we're going to take our first look at the NBA draft. And just the first overall pick, we'll tie it in the Final Four. Don't worry, it'll be cool. Anyway, I want to say something very quickly before we get to uh, the Monday card and everything we have planned here for the second hour. The Boston Celtics earlier today get a really strong win, 134-112 to 112 over the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Boston Celtics are now the first overall seed in the Eastern Conference because of tiebreakers. They have been playing incredible basketball since the start of the calendar year and even a little bit further beyond that. Um, in that range. We'll call it January 6th. So right around the start of the calendar year, yeah. And now the conversation has started to kind of turn in a direction. Hey, man, look out. Jason Tatum is 200 to 1 to an MVP. He could probably win this thing. The top overall seed, he's their best player. Pump the brakes. I I can't, it's not that I can't stand the conversation, but it's part of, to me, a larger issue here. You can't check in on an NBA season in the last couple of months and be like, hey, man, the last few months, Jason Tatum's been pretty good. Shouldn't he win this award that's a season-long award? No, he shouldn't. And if you're betting into a market like this, you should be getting longer odds than 200 to 1 to do so. Because while he's been absolutely fantastic since the start of January, were we talking about Jason Tatum for MVP when the Celtics were 18 and 21 and he was averaging 25 points on 41% shooting from the floor? No, we weren't. It's a season long award. And it kind of, it doesn't irritate me, but I feel like it's, it's not a conversation worth having ever. I get it. We look at long odds and we think, man, would it be great to hit a 200 to one ticket? Hell, 
I've got a 300-to-1 ticket on Jaron Jackson Jr. that I really think he should win, and I'm hoping that he does. But I'm also very realistic and kind of see the writing on the wall that these people probably aren't going to vote for Jaron Jackson Jr., a first-time guy when it comes to all defense, defensive player of the year, all these things. There's still a chance, but I'm very realistic about it. And we should be very realistic about the shot. Think about, just think about what Jason Tatum narratively would have to do here. He would have to surpass Devin Booker, who has been more consistent all season long on the top team in the standings overall in the NBA. He would have to surpass Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is third on the odds list, and by all considerations, third on the ballot. Nikola Jokic, who is having a statistically dominant season and might not even win the award because it seems like the wind is blowing in the direction of Joel Embiid, who is the best player on a team who could also take the top seed in the Eastern Conference. And again, we're talking about him playing relatively inefficient basketball for 35 games of the season and his team having a losing record in those games. That's 42% of the year. So while it's great that Jason Tatum has been awesome, when we're talking about him potentially winning MVP, I just don't buy it. And if you want to bet on it, all the power to you, but you should be getting more than 200 to one to do so. So that's my mini rant. That's just put it away there. I don't think I'm being like I, I, this. And there, there might be like a you, 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 you don't like Tatum. Tatum's awesome. If you, I think Tatum's Tatum's one of my favorite players. And when you're talking about what he's been able to do, like I'm talking, I keep bringing up the uh, stats in terms of the slow start. When you get past the slow start and you look at what he's been able to do, I'm going to pull this up really quickly from January 10th to come on to this point of the season right now. I get it. Because you're talking about 28.5 points per game on 48% shooting, shooting 37% from three with 7.8 rebounds and 4.7 assists. He has been the best player on since that date, the best team in the league, and he's been a very big part of what they've been doing defensively. But that is just 34 games of an 82-game schedule. And that has to be considered when you're talking about winning MVP. And it just, we, like we did it with the rookie of the year when it came to Doncic and Trey Young. And I went back and looked that up. Trey Young, everybody thought, hey, man, look out. Trey Young could win this thing. Luka Doncic got every first place vote but one. So just keep that in mind when you're voting for these things and you're looking at these things because while it might be most recent in your memory that a dude is performing very well, at the end of the day, all 82 games are considered as part of the resume, not just the last 35 that you saw and that he's been awesome in. So point over, rant over. Also worth noting with Jason Tatum too, by the way, uh, it was reported um, he does have a little bit of a sore knee. And tomorrow, they do have a second leg of a back-to-back. They'll be playing the Toronto Raptors. Uh, There's a very good chance that Boston could rest Jason Tatum tomorrow when they take on Toronto. So something to keep in mind as we move forward into the Monday card and we start looking at a lot of those games. Um, We'll push off the Monday previews for a second. We'll get to those momentarily. I kind of wanted to clean up what we were talking about when it came to most improved player of the year because this is going to be a really interesting race to see wrapped up. At this point, it does seem that John Morant is going to run away and win this thing. But again, to put a bow on it, 24 games potentially missed for John Morant opens the door for a lot of these guys. And let's just take a look at a guy like Darius Garland. Um, For those who don't listen, I would recommend very much. Zach Lowe put out a podcast just the other day um, that is very much worth listening to. It was a podcast in full about most improved player of the year, discussing all the candidates. They went 10 guys deep and discussed resumes for all of these dudes, and, and it's not brought up the time that's missed for John Morant, so that could potentially be nothing here. Again, it's just always worth noting, 
But one of the names that was very up by, uh, very high on the list of his and David Thorpe, who regularly appears on Follow the Money, was Darius Garland. Darius Garland, and who I have a ticket on at 16 to 1 to win most improved, he has been phenomenal. And I like to look at these resumes because I think if you just stripped away like names and you and this is where I think one of my weaknesses is. I, I'm readily I readily admit that I too I rely too much on numbers. So Darius Garland from last year to this year has become a much better scorer and a wildly more efficient player in terms of his shooting. Last year, Darius Garland, 17.4 points per game. This year, 21.5. So about a, uh, what are we, four-point leap, 4.1 points more per game. On the surface, <clears throat> a lot of people wouldn't really care. Excuse me. But there's more than points. It's why, by the way, Miles Bridges, a lot of people for some reason think that Miles Bridges should be considered for this award. He's the fourth choice over a points bet at 33 to 1. That podcast that I'm referring to, low being a voter, by the way, they didn't even include him in the top 10. So remember that. It's always important to evaluate, I had a, an episode about this the other day, evaluating the evaluators, the people who have the votes, listen to them, take in mind what they're saying. They are the ones that ultimately decide if your ticket will cash. And when I hear the people who have the votes say, yeah, Miles Bridges scored a lot of points, but it's on a lot more shots. He hasn't really been that efficient. The shooting is down, not most approved. That is something that is worth noting, especially because the odds market does not reflect something like that. So with a guy like uh, uh, Darius Garland, not only has he become a much more efficient shooter, so the scoring is up, but how about this effective field goal percentage from 51.7% last year to 53.6% this year. His three-point shooting, relatively the same, a little bit down this year from 39.5% to 36.5%, but on two more attempts per game, and his two-point shooting, is, his field goal percentage overall has dramatically improved, but his shooting within the arc has dramatically improved from 47.9% to 52.8%. In terms of advanced metrics, Garland's usage has gone from 27% to 31.2%, and yet still... Points per 100 shot attempts improved from 109.6 to 116.1. He's improved dramatically, and his passing is much better as well because there's other categories, right, besides scoring. Averaging two and a half more assists per game, Darius Garland is, and is part of, of course, this really big push that the Cleveland Cavaliers made before all the injuries hit their roster. So why I bring this up is, again, just to point out that while you have now a favorite who is wildly considered to be the runaway guy for this thing, He's got a massive hole in his resume in terms of availability, and you have really strong candidates on this list to potentially take the award from him. The other day, I think it was, what, two, three weeks ago, we talked about the most improved race. We brought up Tyrese Maxey. Maxey continues to perform at an extremely elite level and across the board when you're talking about Maxey and his improvement. From points per shot attempt, points per 100 shot attempts, 106.1 last year to 119.7 this year. Points per game, 17.4 this year to 8 Last year, right? That's a massive difference. Nearly 10 points per game difference. Third best player on a team that considers himself an Eastern Conference contender. And again, going back to the main point of evaluating the evaluators, very high up on the list of both Thorpe and Lowe. Again, just one one of those guys only has a vote, by the way. That's Zach Lowe. But two very smart individuals when it comes to evaluating basketball and two guys who have some clout in terms of voting for the award or influencing opinions on these sort of awards. So keep this in mind as we talk about this. It's not just Garland. It's not just Maxie. Desmond Bain, Bain is the more, I cannot wait to see what happens with Desmond Bain in terms of the voting because John Moran. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. 
A lot of times you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Himself calls him the most improved player. The guy who's the minus 8,000 favorite to win the award continues to call his teammate the most improved player of the year. When they beat the Brooklyn Nets the other day on the ESPN game, tweeted out after the game, you watched the defensive player of the year, Jaron Jackson Jr., the coach of the year, Taylor Jenkins, and of course, the most approved player of the year in Desmond Bain. So even the guy who is, while is the massive favorite to win this, has been vocal about the fact that he doesn't want to win it and that his own teammates should win it ahead of him. And I do wonder, if at all, how that influences people who have this boat. But Bain, his usage, up from 14.7% to 21.8%. He's improved his points per 100 shot attempts just barely, 119.3 to 119.7. But the biggest thing for Bain in terms of what he has improved, his shooting numbers are incredible. He maintains a 42% shooting clip this year, despite taking three more three-point attempts per game. He's just been nuts. Desmond Bain has been incredible. And again, all of these guys down to DeJounte Murray, who has at times been a triple-double machine this year, have very strong resumes to win this award. And how this thing gets voted for the next couple, uh, at the end of the regular season, is going to be something to monitor. All right, well, now we'll start to get into the Monday preview. Golden State Warriors continue to struggle. Well, they're taking on those Memphis Grizzlies. Let's see what's going to happen here with Golden State as they continue to flounder without Curry now in this lineup. It has been brutal for the Warriors these recent games. Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Welcome back. A reminder for you, Wendy's Breakfast is the official breakfast of March Madness. Every day, choose from Wendy's snack starting lineup, like the breakfast baconator, croissant combos, and hot or cold coffee. I'm an iced coffee guy. Love it. And like any great team, Wendy's is bringing the breakfast legends, oven bakes, sizzling bacon, fresh cracked eggs, perfectly seasoned breakfast potatoes, and simply OJ to bring it home. 
Take a fast break to your nearest Wendy's drive-thru and pick up your Wendy's breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. A very quick update. So all the games today for the NBA, they're all final, all done with in the books. But a very important final in the last few hours of the day. The Charlotte Hornets get a massive win over the Brooklyn Nets, 119-110. to Why that matters? Not only is it a victory for the Charlotte Hornets, but they now take control of the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Why, again, that matters? Well, again, seven and eight, they get you one win and you're in. They also get two bites at the apple because if you lose, you get another game to potentially play your way in here. So we talked about in the first hour, the Hornets being a team that is worth looking at coming into today, plus 295 to make the playoffs. Now they're in a tie with Brooklyn. They're in control of the eighth and they hold the tiebreakers for the season. That's pretty big. In the last uh, few games of the year, now we got about seven left on the schedule for both of these teams. We're both 39 and 36. So a big win for the Charlotte Hornets. Very big win for Charlotte. Uh, They're back in action against the Denver Nuggets tomorrow. We'll get to that game momentarily. But let's talk a little bit about the Golden State Warriors who are going to take on the Memphis Grizzlies manana. And we get a pretty interesting matchup here because the Golden State Warriors, it is not going well for Golden State without Steph, uh, without Steph Curry on the floor. I was going to call him Seth Curry. Today, a loss to the Washington Wizards, 122, uh, excuse me, 123 to 115. The Wizards, look, the Wizards went bonkers from three today. 59.3% non-garbage time minutes, and you take out the Heaves as well, 16 to 27. It was a uh, very much a performance that was an outlier for a Wizards team who was one of the worst shooting teams in the NBA. And their half-court offense wasn't really great for the most part, uh, other than the three-point shooting. But here's the thing with uh, Steph, the Steph Curryless Warriors. This team now, without Steph Curry in the starting lineup over the last few games, have been all over the place in terms of their ability to play both offensively and defensively. Case in point. So I mentioned the three-point shooting, probably an outlier against Washington. Well, in the 121-1 loss, uh, 110 loss to the Atlanta Hawks, gave up 127.4 points per 100 possessions. They go and they beat Miami without Draymond Green, without Klay Thompson on the floor, which was a little weird, and they dropped 129.7 offensive rating, look pretty good. You think they're going to turn things around. But you, like these, some of these games, the loss to the Orlando Magic, in which they're held under well under a point per possession, 94.7, and they lose that game outright, 94-90, as a 7.5-point favorite. The wacky loss to San Antonio that ends on a, a essentially, what was it, a putback uh, on an offensive rebound off of a missed free throw for the San Antonio Spurs. You lose that 110 to 108 in the first game without Curry. Again, their defensive rating somewhat poor in that game, 112.8. This has been an inconsistent Warriors team kind of throughout the season, a very highly power-rated team at that. But since they've lost Curry, now 1-4 straight up at ATS. And this is going to be kind of a problem going into a game against the Memphis Grizzlies, who, as we know again, without John Morant, what are 16-2, 17-2, straight up without Morant on the floor and are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA without John Morant playing. So now you're talking about the Golden State Warriors, who, without Steph Curry, have struggled in the offensive end, are probably going to be staring in the face of a Memphis Grizzlies team who are extremely highly power-rated and motivated and supported by the market. Ten and a half now, with a total of 222.5 for tomorrow against Golden State. The total is down, by the way. Some spots, this is the cool thing about these openers and the overnights. Uh, there are times where the numbers are all over the place, and you can find some pretty good numbers. Open 225, there's 224.5 on the screen for the total, and a 222.5 on the screen as well. But it's not surprising that the overnight, you saw an opener of eight, and you're up to 10.5 here in favor of Memphis. I think we're getting to the point where the number might be a little high for the Memphis Grizzlies, and the power rating might be reaching its peak. 
again, a team that is without their best player. But at this point right now, the way the Golden State Warriors are playing and on the second leg of a back-to-back with this weird cushion for the third seed, how they're going to handle this in terms of injuries as well on the second leg of a back-to-back remains to be seen. But I would expect that 10.5 is kind of the peak here for the number and the Warriors get a little support coming back down in their direction. Boston Celtics at Toronto mentioned this in uh, the uh, the previous uh, block, but for those who weren't with us, just to mention, big injury question mark about Jason Tatum. He's dealing with some stuff, said after the game, didn't know whether or not he was going to go in that matchup tomorrow against the Toronto Raptors. The exact words from Tatum, uh, this is courtesy of, oh, let's see, it did not save on my uh, Twitter feed. Unfortunate. Regardless, it looks like there's going to be at least a very questionable designation for Jason Tatum when it comes to tomorrow's matchup on the road against the Toronto Raptors. And the Raptors, too, who have plenty to play for, would like to see Jason Tatum miss this game. Right now, you're looking at Raptors minus 2.5 with a total of 218. And here's how the market reacts. This is kind of the weird thing about the betting market when it comes to a lot of these games. We have the quote that Tatum is at the very best questionable for tomorrow. Once he is officially placed on the injury report as questionable, you will see the market react to that. And I'm sure the Celtics will, or excuse me, the, um, the Raptors will go up to like three and a half, four and a half point favorites. And then once he's officially ruled out, it'll probably close in the range of like six, six and a half. Because even though we know at this point right now he's questionable, the market just reacts to like official information that's out there. Although you can look at Brian Turner's Twitter account and say that, hey man, pretty good chance that he's not going to be available tomorrow for the Boston Celtics. We're still a very good team, by the way, even if he's not going to be out there and available. So let's go to Denver at Charlotte. How Charlotte responds to a very big win here over the Brooklyn Nets on the second leg of a back-to-back coming back home is going to be pretty interesting. Now 10-5 and five straight up, 9-6 and six against the spread in their last uh, 15 games since the All-Star break, the Charlotte Hornets are. One of the best offensive teams in the NBA since the All-Star break as well. Now getting the Denver Nuggets, who are still fighting for a lot in terms of playoff contention seeding and trying to potentially against the Utah Jazz which I should note too, which I forgot to mention when we were talking about the Western Conference, Denver can still win that division as well as surpass Utah, of course, in the standings. So there's plenty to play here for Denver. From an injury report perspective, relatively clean for um, for the Denver Nuggets. Two names to note here, though. Bakuna Campazzo, who's questionable to play, and Jermichael Green as well. Green, I think, a little bit more impactful in terms of the depth there for Denver uh, as opposed to Facundo Campazzo, but uh, that's one less ball handler out there for Denver if they can't if he can't go here for a very very bad bench number right now up on the screen. Charlotte catching three and a half at home with a total of two thirty one and a half or two thirty two and a half. And I got to say this: when it comes to Denver, what has been troubling me about Denver recently has been how poorly they have played um, on the defensive end of the floor. Coming into this matchup, just fifteenth on the season in terms of non garbage time minutes, one hundred eleven point nine points per 100 possessions allowed. If you look at some of the recent games and the way that they have played defensively, there have been some really poor performances from Denver on the defensive end of the floor. Suns went into that game, dropped 140 points, averaged 143.3 per 100 possessions or 1.43 per possession. Against the Los Angeles Clippers in a game they ended up winning as a six and a half point favorite. Clippers, who have been awful offensively lately, put up an offensive rating of 121.1. Boston, when they smoked them a couple of days ago, put up an offensive rating of 146.3. That's two out of the last four games for Denver in which they've had a defensive rating of 140. And then, of course, they lost to Cleveland, in which the Cavaliers, who pretty much have two ball handlers and that's it and have not been really great offensively, put up an offensive rating of 115.5. And it goes on from there. The defensive effort from Denver has been wildly inconsistent recently. And now you're talking about a Charlotte Hornets team and a young team at that. Second leg of a back-to-back probably shouldn't bother Charlotte that much with such a young team but also has been playing some of the best offensive basketball in the league over that stretch. I would expect barring any additions on the injury report here that the Charlotte Hornets 
uh, would be the side to back here and that you're probably going to see this three and a half. It start to move off of it because keep in mind now, Denver, there's three and a half mark. We're talking about five and a half on a neutral and seven and a half back in Denver. And they don't know if they're five and a half points better than the Charlotte Hornets, given the way that they have been playing on the offensive end of the floor. So we go from there and can fit one more in here really quickly. Chicago Bulls on the road against the New York Knicks. Knicks today win, fail to cover. Detroit Pistons, 15 out of 17, they have covered at this point now. The Pistons have been freaking awesome, man. If you haven't been in on this train, that's wild. Today, again, they closed, and I was I, uh, I was DMing Rex Byers and um, asked me about that game, and I even mentioned, you know, I took four, but I'll probably get a bad number because Julius Randle, the market thinks he means something to the, the uh, point spread. I don't really think he does. Sure enough, I grabbed four, closes five, but the Pistons end up covering that game, end up losing by two, but the Pistons, they have been the gift that keeps on giving, and they have not been... Um, unwrapping that gift enough, but this is about the Knicks. The Knicks now on the second leg of a back-to-back will take on the Chicago Bulls. Interesting because Julius Randle has been dealing with his injury playing on the front end of a back-to-back. Is he going to be available on the second leg of a back-to-back here against Chicago, who still is not going to have Lonzo Ball and is still trying to find some consistency. They had a really comfortable win over the Cleveland Cavaliers on Saturday, but still that got tight in the second half. They blew a strong lead to make that a little touch and go. And their offense in that game kind of struggled 106.5. And this has been kind of the problem here for the Chicago Bulls during this slump that they have been on. Their offense has been wildly inconsistent that game against Cleveland, the loss to Milwaukee, in which they were held to a 96.7 and only 98 points in that game, their offense against Phoenix, 104.8 and a 104 offensive rating in that loss uh, um, in Sacramento, part of that West case, uh, West coast road trip about a week and a half ago. This has been the problem for Chicago, and now they move into this match with New York. Knicks have not been a very good defensive team, uh, but they showed out a little bit here against the Detroit Pistons, at least in the first half. Second half was not that great defensively uh, for them. Market right now, Chicago four and a half on the road with a total of 223 and a half. And just given the way that they've played, I'm just not sure I'm really comfortable laying points on the road with Chicago. Again, talking about a six and a half point difference on a neutral between them and the New York Knicks. We'll come back. We'll break down the rest of the Monday card. Some interesting matchups, including can the Hawks continue to fail? They get the Indiana Pacers tomorrow. Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. KFC Chicken Sandwich served hot and straight from the fryer. It's why it's finger licking good. Order the KFC Chicken Sandwich today. All right, wrapping things up. We've got the last uh, 30 minutes here on Hardwood Handicappers. Uh, thumbs up. Betting the brackets. That's what it is, right? Greg Poops Peterson has a ton of shows. Uh, but betting the brackets coming up next. I think there's something to break down. We might have a final four set. And can I just say a disgusting one at that? Because um, as I was talking with Greg Hoops Peterson, as he casually strolled through with some just wonderful looking lemon cupcakes. Um, yeah, I'm not really thrilled that Duke has, um, has made it as far as they have. It's just like, come on. Do we really need another week of UNC and Duke and Coach K and whatever? Uh, we will discuss and um, break down a couple of those games before we get out of here. And we'll tie it into something fun. The first overall pick in the NBA draft. Yes, the draft, not until June. Anyway, as we move on, let's take a look at the rest of the games for tomorrow in the NBA. Uh, I think this one is going to be very much worth watching, mainly because of the drama and what's been going on with the team. But uh, the Sacramento Kings will be taking on the Miami Heat tomorrow. Sacramento on the road. Miami 13.5 point favorite at the open here against 
Sacktown. Now, the injury report, this is the tough part about some of these games, right? Injury reports are massive. Now, with Sacramento, we know. Darion Fox, Rashawn Holmes, DeMontis Simonis, all are not going to play here for the Sacramento Kings. So not a surprise. Knew this going in. So we can evaluate the Kings as such. Miami, the team you're laying 13 and a half points with, not so much. Tyler Hero, questionable to play. P.J. Tucker, questionable to play. And some depth pieces in Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent are questionable to play. But this comes down to the Miami Heat. We're 0-4 straight up and against the spread in their last four games. We're 1-8 against the spread in their last nine. And playing just a disjointed sort of basketball coming into this game. And off of the loss to Brooklyn, in which they were, we'll call it embarrassed in the second quarter on their home court. So I think the situational handicapper would look at this and go, great bounce back spot. Jimmy Butler's not on the injury report. Bam Adebayo's not on the injury report. Kyle Lowry's not on the injury report. They have their three best players that are going to be available, and they want to get the bad taste out of their mouth and beat up on a pretty bad team. And on the surface, that sounds like something that would make sense for the most part, but you're buying into a very big number at 13 and a half for a team that's covered one out of their last nine games. On top of that, what you're getting from Sacramento is what seems to be a very undervalued underdog because they've covered six out of the last eight games. They come into this on a two-game winning streak with covers in each of their last three, and it's not anything to write home about, but they did cover against Phoenix in a high-scoring affair, 127-124, to a game that they lost, and they beat Indiana and Orlando in their last two games. Again, really tight affairs against some of the worst teams in the NBA, but Sacramento has at least shown to be undervalued in nature, and again, not only 6-2 and two in their last eight, but 8-3 eight and three in their last 11 against the number. So the market has gone a little too far in one direction against Sacramento. So always keep that in mind. I always say you know, a lot of people will just look at a, at a streak and go 6-0 and against the spread in their last six. I'm betting on that because that's going to continue. To me, when you look at spread streaks and the way that they operate, it's a sign that the market has overvalued or undervalued a team. So has the market adjusted in any way whatsoever on the number that that team is either catching or laying in the subsequent contest that you're talking about. And in this case, when you're talking about 13 and a half on the road against the Miami Heat that have a couple of key cogs like Tucker that are questionable to play, it doesn't seem like there's been that big of an adjustment here made by the market, and it continues to fade a team that has been actually covering a lot of inflated numbers that the betting market keeps throwing out there. So something to keep in mind, again, Darren Fox, Rashawn Holmes, DeMontis Sabonis, not going to play for Miami. Let's go to Orlando at Cleveland. This is part of the push here for Cleveland now. Seventh seed, a game behind Toronto. Don't want that play-in situation. Right now, penciled into taking on the Charlotte Hornets in the first round after the Hornets beat the Brooklyn Nets earlier today. Uh, But will the Cleveland Cavaliers continue to struggle on the defensive end of the floor? Cavaliers, as we know, since they lost Jared Allen, 118.6 defensive rating, 4-6 and straight up, 2-7-1 against the spread. So clearly, mark it because this has been a good team all year long valuing them to a certain extent, but maybe overvaluing them. Like, look at this. They're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite here against the Orlando Magic, despite the fact that they have failed to cover seven out of their last ten games. And Orlando has shown in their most recent matches every once in a while a little bit of fight. They are in a one-in-five ATS slide. But prior to that, they had covered four straight and five out of six, and they had that spurt near the end of February where you're talking about they covered three out of the last four in the month of February and that four out of five stretch, that five out of six stretch. So Orlando, against some of the similar-minded competition, has at least performed in a relatively strong way and getting a little bit healthier in terms of some of these bodies coming off of the injury report. I would expect that as we're looking at nine and a half right now in favor of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and this opened some spots, we're talking about like ten and a half, I, I would think that the spots that are floating at ten right now 
come off of that 10 and go in the direction of Orlando, just given how poorly Cleveland has been on the defensive end of the floor since losing Jared Allen. It's a tough pill to swallow when you're talking about laying 10, 10 and a half points, even against a team like the Orlando magic, because Orlando at least at least shown at times that they are capable of covering some of these bad numbers and Orlando to give them some credit has been much better on the road than they have been at home. Away from home this year, the Orlando Magic 21 and 17 against the spread at home tells uh, 12, 24 and one against the spread. So a little bit more comfortable, probably due to the fact that a bad team going on the road catches some really inflated numbers. And this could be one of them taking on the shorthanded Cleveland Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks on the road against the Indiana Pacers. Atlanta is a pretty fascinating team, man, mainly because the market has like this unwavering faith in them for the most part. And they did cover and win against the Golden State Warriors, 121 to 110. They were three-point favorites in that game last time out. But this is not a team that has been covering with any consistency. You can look at the recency and go, yeah, they've covered three out of five games. It ignores the one and nine ATS run that they had prior to that. And the fact that they've only covered four games in the month of March, the market has this weird respect for Atlanta. And it's consistent on a night-to-night basis. The market seems to support it come in on the Atlanta Hawks, despite the fact that there has been no return in that investment. Now, Indiana, though, has not been playing very well. They have lost three consecutive games, failed to cover all three of those. They're one in five ATS in their last five. You extend that out a little bit farther, and you're talking about three, seven, and one in their last 11 games, the Indiana Pacers. And at the front and center for that streak, I guess you want to call it, slide, has been a defense that has been among the worst in the NBA. And that kind of, we kind of expected that, right? We knew that since that late, I think it was late January, that West Coast trip they had. Um, and you, we lost Miles Bridges, or Miles Bridges, uh, Miles Turner. He's been out of the lineup for a while, and you've seen the way that this defense has been operating. It's consistently been one of the worst, and you see it. Look at these, just, just these last few games, for example, for the Indiana Pacers. Uh, defense rating a 145.2 in that loss against Toronto yesterday. Defensive rating of 135.7 against Memphis in the loss back on the 24th. You go further down the list and it continues to get worse. Memphis has beat them up twice here in the last couple of matchups. And they even faced Atlanta back on the 13th, which wasn't that long ago. Atlanta was a 12-point favorite, put up an offensive rating of 133.7. But, and this is the catch with the Atlanta Hawks, the Pacers in that game had their own offensive rating of 129.6. And this has been the problem with Atlanta during this slide and pretty much all season long. They're one of the poorest defensive teams in the NBA, and it's hard when you're talking about laying large points or large amount of points because they cannot defend and they cannot extend these leads or keep teams out. Case in point, that game that we're talking about against Indiana or the the win over the Portland Trailblazers, we'll call it, what, two weeks ago? 14-point favorite in that game, end up winning 112-113. to 113. That was after failing to cover a 12-point spread against the Indiana Pacers. So you can kind of understand laying 12 the first time around against Atlanta, Indiana, now on the road, laying seven, it's just... It's just no, it's just a no for me when it comes to Atlanta and a lot of these games and especially some of these big numbers. Last two to discuss here for Monday's card, San Antonio at Houston. This is part of that stretch now for San Antonio, right? If they want to catch up with the Los Angeles Lakers, just a game back if the uh, 10th seat in the Western Conference, lengthy injury report at this point right now. Romeo Langford not going to play. Doug McDermott not going to play. Uh, Lonnie Walker is questionable to play as well for San Antonio, who's on the road against Houston. So we'll keep that in mind as they match up with the Rockets. And San Antonio, five and a half at the open, up to six and a half at some spots right now with a total of 237 and a half. San Antonio falls into the same category here where it's just a somewhat poor team, only have 30 wins on the season, taking on an even lower power rated team and maybe laying a number that they might not 
be able to cover on the road. But to give the San Antonio Spurs credit against the Portland Trailblazers, when we saw them a couple of nights ago, they were a nine and a half point favorite on the road against Portland, won 133 to 96 and covered a nine and a half point spread. Did the same thing, catching six, one outright against New Orleans Pelicans the other night, 107 to 103. Uh, that was yesterday, actually, on Saturday. So the Spurs have been in pretty good form here, winning four out of five games and covering three of those contests. But just to give you an idea of sometimes a team that be that is somewhat overvalued against bad teams, they played the Oklahoma City Thunder back on the 16th. They were an 11.5-point favorite, gave up 116.7 per 100 possessions to OKC. They ended up winning 122 to 120, barely getting by the Thunder. So just keep that in mind. You know, when you look at some of these matchups, I don't think I'm saying anything out of the world here. When you're like, hey, man, this team sucks. I'll lay that number. A lot of the times it's baked in and you're not getting a discount. And the Spurs have been a recent example of that. And Oklahoma City, uh, I mean, one of the worst games I think you're ever going to see. Oklahoma City on the road against the Portland Trailblazers. I'm not sure many people will be watching this game, uh, but it speaks to how bad who the Portland Trailblazers just lost Trinda Watford to injury, how poorly the Portland Trailblazers are power rated. The Oklahoma City Thunder, a two and a half point favorite on the road against the Portland Trailblazers tomorrow in that matchup. Okay, we'll come back. Uh, we'll wrap things up. We'll take our first look at the NBA draft and we'll tie that in to some coverage on the final four, which leads perfectly into Greg Coop Peterson and Betty Dubrak. Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Final four is a set. You need to grab a five-hour energy to stay alert, handicap these games, watch them. Or, you know, maybe one of them turns out to be kind of a late-night overtime contest, and you're a little tired the next day, take a five-hour energy shot in the morning, you can energize your day. Zero sugar, an unbeatable blend of vitamins, nutrients, and caffeine. It's the perfect pick-me-up for getting stuff done. Go to 5hourenergy.com to find over 15 flavors to choose from. With flavors like grape, tropical burst, cherry, blue, raspberry, and more. There is a flavor for everyone. Get a 5-hour energy today. So let's wrap up our uh, edition of Hardwood Handicappers. as a smooth handoff transition to betting the brackets. Let's talk a little college hoops because we do that here. And if you're just kind of tuning into the network and want the uh, sports betting buzz about what's going on in college basketball, who am I to deny that to you? So our two games are set. Openers for both. Duke opens up as a four and a half point favorite with a total of 149 and a half over North Carolina. And Kansas opens up as a four point favorite total 132 over Villanova. Some spots open as low as three and a half for Kansas. The, the numbers I'm citing are Westgate Superbook openers. The Predominant numbers across the board right now, Duke four and a half with a total of 151. So that total up from the opener at some spots of 149 and a half and Kansas four with a total of 133 total up ever so slightly from the opener of 132. So let's start with the obvious, which is the news and Kansas and Villanova because uh, Villanova, as we know, dealt a massive blow and the official news came out today. Justin Moore, uh, extremely unfortunate, a 14.8 point per game scorer, but five rebounds per game as well tore his Achilles. He's not going to be available here for Villanova. I mean, from just a you feel for him because he's a human being type of thing, really sucks to reach this point and to not be able to help and support your team because of just a catastrophe. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. 
A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Traffic injury. Kansas four with a total of 132 and a half. And what I, because I have a, I got a ticket on Kansas at uh, 13 to one to win the NCAA tournament. I bet this before the season started. And Kansas, I have dubbed as a team that kind of plays with their food a little bit, right? The first half against Miami, somewhat shaky. They ultimately pull away and win that thing 76 to 50. But I think what's lost in the conversation around Kansas recently has been the way that this team has played defensively for about a month now. Seven of their last eight opponents have been held to under a point per possession. If you look at the numbers up from Ken Palm, the only team that averaged over a point per possession was Creighton, who put up an offensive rating of 102.5, which really isn't anything to write home about and isn't that far away from averaging a point per possession. So Kansas, the way they've been playing on that end of the floor has been downright fantastic and it has led to them making this deep of a run because their offense has been inconsistent at times. The game against Providence, in which they averaged under a point per possession, 0.95. But in that game, their defensive rating, 87.8. And then against Miami, the team that wants to get up and down the court has looked offensively pretty good throughout some games this uh, in this tournament held to an offensive rating of 69.7. Kansas on that end of the floor has been absolutely dynamic, which leads you to believe that when a guy like Justin Moore is not going to be available, it does seem like it's going to be a pretty big problem here for Villanova. Now, personally, I'm not going to lay four because I'm sitting on this Kansas ticket. It might take a little piece of Villanova because Villanova is not dead by any stretch whatsoever. Villanova, with their, able, with their ability to shoot the ball, with their ability to create with really good guard play from guys like Colin Gillespie, this is going to be, I think, is going to be the biggest test that Kansas has faced up to this point of the tournament. And Villanova themselves, from an offensive standpoint, even just in this last game, has been able to overcome some relatively inefficient nights with their own brand of very solid defense. But even in the win against Houston, Houston holds them to 0.86 points per possession in that contest, and still they're able to win that game because they hold Houston to just 76 in terms of an offensive rating. And even them themselves, in four out of their last five games, 
holding opponents under a point per possession here. Villanova has key difference is going to be the ability, at least for me, when you're talking about breaking down this matchup, the ability to shoot and shoot consistently. Villanova has been great. 36% when they got into Big East play on the season, 61st, 35.7. And while it matches what Kansas has been able to do on the season in terms of their, their ability to shoot the ball from beyond the perimeter, if you look at some of these shooting performances in the tournament, hasn't been really great. They had that very poor, uh, very poor performance against Providence, shooting just 2 of 14 from 3. They were fine against Miami, 5 of 14, 35.7%. But I do wonder if that's going to be the difference here. But overall, I think Kansas, their ability to defend is going to have them move on here. Do I want to lay 4? Don't believe so, mainly because the injury is baked in here to this number. The market is going to be on that. I think you're paying a little bit more of a tax here in Kansas. If Villanova was fully healthy, I mean, this game is much closer to a pick. And Greg Hoops-Peterson is the college basketball expert. He'll be able to tell you with his numbers. Um, but I would even go so far as to say that there's a chance Villanova's favored if that's not the case. So we'll see what's, uh, you know, we'll see what Greg has to say. But ultimately, when you look down at this matchup, to me, how Kansas defends is going to be really key. They've been awesome for a month now. And now you're talking about nearly a 15-point-per-game score that's not going to be available for Villanova. Now, the next game, Duke and North Carolina, I'm really – I cannot wait to watch this because – I think if you actually looked at North Carolina's run here, and I, you, I will be accused of taking away from what has been a very good run for North Carolina. However, just look at this as it is. You take on a very small Marquette team. You win that game going away 95-63. to 63. You had a big lead against Baylor, who was missing Jonathan Chambuchachua, their best offensive rebounder, a dude who would have made a really big difference there. You win on the glass in that game. Yes, you blow that game. You have to go to overtime. But one of your best players was, of course, on the bench because Brady Manick got, kicked, uh, got uh, ejected in that game. UCLA, same thing. When you looked at that matchup and the way they played just the other day, well, Jaime Jaquez comes in, looks pretty good early, but ultimately finishes that game 5-15 of 15 inside the arc, misses all three of his uh, three-point attempts, doesn't contribute much on the glass, and you win that game. You get 15 offensive rebounds, and you win it. And then, of course, what happens today, right? St. Peter's, small team. Defensively, you're great. You can throw your 6-7 wings out there and shut down some of their better offensive players. You win that going away 69-49. to 49. And again, one of your biggest strengths, you're able to capitalize on 35 defensive boards, 14 offensive rebounds, I just don't think that's going to be the case here for North Carolina. Yes, they, they've kind of had a favorable draw up to this point. But here's the, and here's the thing that kind of gets me with Duke, too. And I was talking about this with Greg when he walked in. Yes, clearly the last game in which Duke closes an 11-point favorite was off. They lose the game outright. But how off are we talking? Like This is a really big shift in a power rating. When you're talking about Duke closing as an 11-point favorite in that contest, now just laying four on a neutral that's a really big swing in terms of a power rating here for Duke. I think the Blue Devils are going to move on here. I think when you look at the matchup overall, North Carolina has done a fantastic job of taking advantage and using its biggest strength, which has been athleticism and rebounding against some of these teams that have really been hurting for it in these matchups. But now against Duke, you're talking about a like-minded team who can match you in terms of mostly with size, with some of their most skilled players being a six foot nine, six foot ten, Paolo Bencaro. When you have another, we have a, a whole bunch of other set of guys who are springy and can really match you on the glass. Uh, Mark Williams has been absolutely fantastic for them, right? A seven-footer. That advantage, I think, gets negated here for North Carolina. So for me, it's going to be Duke or pass. I do think this is going to be a Duke-Kansas final. It look, very much looks like that on the other end of the bracket. But I do wonder, with North Carolina not having the ability to really lean on that strength in a matchup like this against Duke, what that means 
now that it's going to be a little bit more even keeled when it comes to working the rebounding in the offensive glass. So, and, and here's the other thing too. I mean, we saw this in, um, we saw this in conference play a little bit for UNC. Their defense got a little bit worse. Duke down the stretch here offensively, at least in clutch situations, really relying on the guys that are going to be pros. And especially when some of these games get tight in some of these half-court situations, like the end of that Texas Tech game was wildly impressed with Roach, Bencaro, their ability to score in isolation. North Carolina hasn't faced that up to this point yet. It's going to be a massive difference here in this game. So personally, give me a Duke-Kansas final. I think they're going to be uh, moving on and facing off with one another. Attempted uh, to lay the four there with Duke. I want to see what the market does with both of these, though and how it responds, because I do think that there is this momentum behind North Carolina might get some public support, but does it get to the point where it comes off that four and a half, gets to four or even three in that manner? So moving on from there, let's take our first look in our last two minutes here. I can't wait. I love draft season. love the NFL draft. love the NBA draft. love betting on them. It's a lot of fun. And we have seen this shift during the NBA season or during the college basketball season. Jabari Smith Jr., the favorite to go with the first overall pick right now, at even money, this is DraftKings. Chet Holmgren at plus 160. Paolo Bancaro, 3-1. to one, And then you get to the very big double digits. There's a pretty big gap between those three. Jaden Ivey, the next, at 25-1. to one. Um, I got to tell you, the more I have watched him play, and the more you kind of realize what teams like in their players, not that Jabari Smith Jr. is a bad player in any way whatsoever, but the fact that Paolo Bancaro is 3-1 to one to go with the first overall selection I think is some pretty good value here. I don't think it's going to be Chet Holmgren. I think we've seen some of the flaws in Holmgren's game. I think his slight physical stature is going to be something that works against him in terms of being the first overall pick. Bancaro and Smith are closer in terms of their physical bodies, being ready for the NBA grind. Bancaro, man, a guy that is six foot ten, six foot nine, that can create in every area of the floor. It looks like he's a pretty decent passer as well. Out of all of these guys, he looks most NBA ready. And it also really depends on how the lottery shakes out too and team needs and all of that. But if you're talking about value very early now, because we're not until the middle of June for this draft, you meet Paolo Bancaro at three to one to be the first overall pick in the NBA draft. You heard it here first on March 27th. With that, we were all done. VEASAN.com slash podcast. You find this episode and many more of all your favorite shows. We only got two more episodes until the um, postseason begins in the NBA. So start studying up and getting ready because this postseason is going to be one of the most wild ones we've seen in the association in a while. Betting the Brackets coming up next. Hey, Toby. Hey, Toby. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. 
So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.